0: welcome to the author shenanigans podcast where we are deep diving into the minds of our favorite authors to figure out how in the world do they do what they do and write these books that keep us up into the early hours hanging on to their every word this is your host sarah hickner avid reader podcaster and author in process I wanted to create a podcast that could connect readers to their next favorite author. To find a list of our past guests and links to their books, check out authorshenaniganspodcast.com. Now, without further ado, here is our next author interview. hi everyone welcome to the author shenanigans podcast where we are helping readers meet their next favorite author and i am really excited to introduce y'all to this week's author april davila did i say it right
1: davila close yeah
0: so close okay (laughs) so um april reached out to me because she had a new novel and y'all it was So good. And I, the whole time I was reading it, I was like, I have a million questions. So I'm so excited to have you on the show, April. If you will just take a second to introduce yourself to us, like family, writing, all the things.
1: Sure. Yeah. So I'm April Davila. I am a fiction writer. Write literary fiction. 142 Ostriches was my first book. Uh, it came out a week before the pandemic lockdown, so I didn't really get to do the book tour that I had been dreaming of. But I did end up getting to do a lot of like Zoom book clubs, stuff like that, and I got to meet some people I probably never would have met otherwise. So not not all bad. It's still there's been a good experience, and the book has gotten some really good feedback. I actually just found out last week that um it was awarded the willa literary award the for willa cather uh for, so it's the pick for trade paperback best fiction 2021 from from the willa uh, women writing the west is the organization that puts it together
0: that's is, amazing
1: yeah such an honor um and because it is such a western story and it you know It is very woman-centric, the the characters are all female. It just, it seemed, I had my fingers crossed. I was like, oh, it'd be so great to like, that's such a good niche for my book. And and it happened, which almost never (laughs) happens in the writing world when you really want something and it actually happens. A little more about myself. I live in a suburb north of Los Angeles with two kids and two dogs and my husband. And I'm a Northern California girl at heart. So I, you know, those who are not from California may not know, but there's a bit of a rivalry between North and South. So it was kind of like a big deal when my husband and I decided to move South and we originally thought it was going to be temporary, but then we ended up actually really loving it down here. So now we're SoCal people and, um, what else can I tell you? I
0: I mean, uh, if you're a SoCal person, does that mean you surf?
1: I have served, uh, mostly when I lived in Northern California though, actually, um, I dabbled in it. It was never very good, but it is really fun. Yeah. It's fun. Yeah.
0: I went to San Diego for a conference a couple of years. Well, it's been like four or five years now, COVID like yeah. made the last two years, just like a void, but, right. um, I was determined to surf, it's been my dream. I'm like, I'm a Mississippi girl and now I'm an East coast girl and there's no surfing in any of that. And I was like, I'm gonna be a surfer girl while I'm in San Diego. And like, as the plane lands and my phone turns back on I get a surf warning on my phone. Uh, Like, I don't even know, I guess (laughs) I pinged into their weather satellites and they were like, do not surf. And the entire time I was there, it was 60 degrees, which was like super unseasonable, I guess. Everyone was panicking. They couldn't believe it was <laughs> 60 degrees. Never surf warnings every day on my phone that were like do not surf or you will die and so I yeah woke. when the
1: storms come in it can the surf can be pretty pretty rough out there especially if you don't know what you're doing it'd be a really bad idea to go out there I, <laughs> I wouldn't
0: like that is gonna be so cold and I only get in the ocean and like the gulf where it's like a bathtub so I was like I'm gonna die uh, a suit. that's a bad idea so I'm I will get there someday
1: <laughs> yeah someday someday
0: I can, I can come surfing with you
1: Sure, be good for me.
0: <laughs> so um, tell us about, uh, it's the Author Shenanigans podcast. Yes. So we have yes. to know about an author shenanigans.
1: Oh, so- you know, I was thinking about this book and the, your title, Author Shenanigans, and how this book really evolved out of my love of the desert, the Mojave Desert down here in Southern California. And my love for the desert really evolved out of going to desert parties when I was in college, these rave parties. Um, and I was thinking about the first time I ever went to one, because those were definitely full of shenanigans. Like, I was sitting in the lobby. I was freshman year. I'm sitting in the lobby and it must've been like 11 PM with my, my roommate. And we just didn't really feel like going to sleep. We were playing hearts or hearts. I don't even remember what we were playing. And this guy walked through the lobby. He's like, Hey, we want to go to a desert party. And we like looked at each other. We were like, yeah. <laughs> and so we, we ended up going with this like random guy. I mean, he was a student. He wasn't like some random guy off the street, but, um, and we had mutual friends, but we ended up getting in the car with him driving for like three hours out into the middle of the desert. You're going down the dirt road out in the. you're on the paved road in the desert already. So you're feeling like I'm in the middle of nowhere. And then you turn onto these little dirt roads that go out even deeper into nowhere. And then you, and it's all odometer. You had these, and it was pre like cell phones, pre, you know, you email account, but it was back at call at the college campus. So with this printout of like go 0.3 miles and then turn left and you're like, there's nothing here. And you turn left on and do an even smaller dirt road. You're starting to worry about like your car getting stuck in the sand. And you follow, it like it looks like takes like an hour on because you're not going very fast on the dirt roads. And then you come around a corner and it's like, oh, there's like giant party in the middle of nowhere out in the desert. And there's speakers, these giant speakers all stacked up on top of each other and a DJ stand and there's loud electronic music and people are dancing and everyone's wearing like glow sticks and faux fur and feather boas and things (laughs) like, what, what is this? It was like a whole, I don't know, blew my mind. And I ended up going to desert parties. Like I got really into the whole scene. I I went like every week for years while I was in college, I would miss class. I like there was one time I actually showed a little bit of restraint and didn't miss a final. Cause I was like, that's a step too far. I had to stay home from the party and go to the final, but yeah, I spent a lot of time out in the desert as an undergrad, just going to these wacky parties. Um, it was that so much fun.
0: Is, that's like such a whole other world from anything. Experience. I can't even wrap my head around it. It sounds like something from a movie or a book like it doesn't sound real that's so cool and when I started
1: writing the book I kind of wanted to show that side of it but it just it just didn't feel organic to the story I wanted to tell and I ended up editing out most all of it actually there's no I don't think there's any even mention of like the desert party scene in the book anymore it's all been edited out but it started like the first draft had a lot more of that in it yeah um just because I mean we would dance all night and then the sun would come up and you know most of the time because I wasn't at school in the summers desert parties in the summers are kind of a different thing. When the sun comes up, people go home. But if you're there in the winter, you know, you, the sun comes up and everything kind of defrosts and you just keep dancing. And it's just, it's so beautiful. And the music is great. And the, you know, it's just big fun time. I don't even know if they still happen anymore. Like I.
0: I, right? I just, I, I have, pulled the energy from to have like a yeah. stuff where they plugged into their cars.
1: Generator. They would bring out a generator.
0: That is so like a full crazy.
1: size. Did yeah.
0: large for this or was it just like people who just loved partying? And
1: well, so I ended up one of the party organizers ended up being a friend of mine and he he was a ecology major. So he found these spots like that was his job and find these spots because he was always out like doing research projects anyway. And then he had all the DJ friends. So he would like find a spot and he would call them and they would bring in all the gear with the generator and everything. Uh, and then my friend who was this ecology meter was always really focused on making sure that the spot was left really pristine, like that. He was really good about that. And he kept the whole group really organized. There were other groups that were not as good about that. You know, they left a lot of cigarette butts and toilet paper yeah. and like gross, gross stuff. And so originally like you could get away with it, not being permitted, even like, you know, party three, 300 people and not be permitted because we would clean up really well afterwards. But. Then other groups started doing it and it wasn't as good at cleaning up. And then um, the Bureau of Land Management started kind of cracking down on like, if you're going to have a big event, you have to have porta potties, you have to have a permit. And so uh, last I heard, which was years ago, they were still doing events, but they were very much, um, they were much more legit and uh, kind of lost a little bit of that sense of adventure, you know?
0: Yeah, I would think like once it starts getting super planned, then it's not as good anymore. If you have porta potties,
1: it's yeah, well, so and then you have to charge because you have to cover the expense of the porta potties and the permit. Yeah. It used to be you just drove up and parked, and like that was you were there, that was the and, party.
0: And then you need event insurance, and then you actually yep. need permission from landowners, you can't just yep. show up squat. Yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah,
0: that is, I've never had a shenanigan like that.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: That was amazing. Um, okay, so I have a, a couple uh, funny questions real quick. So first, right. how funny they are, but I just want to know what your favorite vegetable is.
1: Oh, favorite vegetable depends on what you're doing with it. I guess tomato. Ma- well, tomatoes are fruit, isn't it? Um, artichoke let's go with artichoke.
0: So you like, do you like saute it and then eat the, no, I like
1: steam the whole head of it. And then I just pull off the little leaves and I dip them in mayonnaise. Ew. Oh, that was so good. <laughs> And it's such a treat because they're high maintenance and they're you know they're pretty pricey unless they're like in season for the one week that they are yeah um, yeah, they're a treat. I love artichokes.
0: I had a friend who loved artichokes and she I remember her being like, oh my gosh, Sarah, you have to have this. It's so good and she had this whole buildup and then I ate it and it was good, but it was like I mean all that work for like it is a
1: lot of work.
0: whole smidge of like, food in my mouth and so I true. it did taste good I mean it was, it was
1: mm. yeah That's
0: and I but we didn't do man I mean I like mayonnaise fine but yeah but you can do
1: different stuff like dipping sauces but
0: um okay so I'm looking behind you and I see all these books yes sorry y'all are listening to the podcast and can't see the books but they're color-coded <laughs> I love that so what's your favorite book on the shelf
1: Well, first of all, the color coding was my daughter's like first COVID project. So like when school shut down and she had nothing to do, she's like, I'm going to organize all the books. I was like, okay, so now I have this lovely background. So thanks to my daughter for that. Favorite book is a really tough question. Um, There is one of, I can say one of, so kind of my classically favorite book is Lonesome Dove, which is just, it's just a classic old Western. They don't write books like that anymore. And um, thank you my daughter is bringing me a snack. Um, she's great. So yeah, they don't write books like that anymore. And it's like almost a thousand pages. And every time I get to the end of it, I'm like, I wish there was more. (laughs) So I kind of hold that as my favorite book, but my more recent favorite book is less by Andrew Sean Greer, which, um, it's like the first comedic book to win the Pulitzer Prize in like however many decades I don't remember it's just this short you know usually Pulitzer Prizes are like these big like meaty and it's like okay they're beautiful I can appreciate them but this is just this gorgeous it's only like 250 pages just a light insightful beautifully written Uh, peek into the world of Arthur less. And it's um, I've been singing its praises since I read it the first time. It's fantastic.
0: That's so intriguing. I, when you said less, I read so many, well, I've, I've tampered, but self-improvement books. So when you say Uh, Less, I'm like, are we going to like have to throw our stuff away now?
1: (laughs) (laughs) A minimalist. I can't jump Uh, on
0: the bandwagon yet. I like my stuff. I have a copy. Oh,
1: right here. let yeah. Oh, I guess the people on the podcast won't be able to see it, but <laughs> it's just called less and it's Andrew Sean Greer. And it's about a character whose name is Arthur less. Yeah. It's really, really good.
0: Oh, cool. So then what book world would you dive into if you could.
1: Oh, what a fun question. Um, I mean, I would love to dive into the world of Lonesome Dove. I think that would be pretty awesome. Just, it's like my Western nerd self. Um, I mean, Westerns are so fraught because in so many ways they're just like dated and, you know, fairly racist and classist. And like, you know, I have issues with them, but there's also just something about this idea of like, oh, I'm going to go ride my horse out on the range. And (laughs) there's something kind of appealing about that. Um, So grain of salt with that one. But then- I think I think it would be really interesting to fall into the world of *Grapes of Wrath*. Um, that story, the John Steinbeck story about the like, you know, the people who were chased out of the Dust Bowl, but primarily because that is my father's family's story. Like they like okay. lived that. They had a farm in Oklahoma the Dust Bowl chased them out and they literally loaded everything into the back of their truck and came out to California and were migrant fruit pickers for a generation before everyone kind of settled down. And I just, I think it'd be really interesting to to dive into that and just see it firsthand. It'd be a version of California that is totally different than what I've grown up with. Yeah.
0: I think you should write your own version of Grapes of Wrath. That really was not, (sighs) like that was one of my least favorite books in high school. Oh, really? I thought I was like, ugh.
1: You know what? Um, Our own. Kristen, Hannah just did that. She wrote the grapes of wrath from the woman's perspective. It's called the four winds. It's really good.
0: I just bought that. I was oh, like, it's good. I don't know what this book is, but I keep seeing it everywhere. And so I'm just going to grab it. I was at a used bookstore and it was like three books. It was right in front of my face. And so I grabbed it for like five bucks.
1: Yeah. It's okay. really good. Beautiful. Nice.
0: Okay. That's so funny. Cause I didn't like Grapes of Wrath, but I've grown up a bit, so maybe I'll like it more.
1: Well, and it's a very different story when you tell it from the mom's perspective, like the, the, the young mom with her kids and like, you know, how do you manage? I don't know. I just thought it was really well done.
0: Okay. Well now I know what this book is that I randomly Yeah. <laughs> read, so um, okay. And then the first, the, Oh, you were talking about Lonesome Dove. So I have, yeah. I I'm a horse person. Like I've uh, horses for, um, since I was like 12. So I've been obsessed with all that Western. That's like what got me into horses. When I was a kid, the only uh, access I had to them was watching Westerns on TV. And so I used to think like, I want to be cowboy or Indian so that I can like live on the range and ride horses all day. And then eventually I realized women had like really crappy lives. back.
1: Yeah. In. Yeah, they really did. Like the only female character in Lonesome Dove is a whore, which is like, really, there weren't any other women. <laughs> Come on. Yeah. Like, like I said, I have kind of a weird love, rela- hate relationship with that book because it really, it is of a time. And if you can kind of, you know, let, let go and enjoy the storytelling, it's a, it's a wonderful romp, but it does, it, it's fraught it, from a modern perspective. Yeah.
0: Well, and things they I mean, they were different. People weren't as kind.
1: Yeah. Okay,
0: so, yeah. Um, okay. So if you were a book character, do you think you'd be the hero or the villain?
1: <laughs> Definitely the hero. Of okay. course.
0: <laughs> um, and have you ever written anyone into a book? My main question is, have you ever written anyone into your book that you didn't really like? Like maybe uncle Scott was someone, you know, <laughs> and they just happened to fix that.
1: <laughs> yeah, you know what um up until like a week before the printing his name was Uncle Steve because he is my Uncle Steve. <laughs> and then I woke up in the middle of the night just in this panic of like oh my god he's gonna sue me and I like middle of the night emailed to my publisher like we got to change his name and they're like okay but everything said it has to start with the same letter and it has to have the same number of letters in the name so he's Scott instead of Steve but yeah he is very much based on my uncle Steve who was kind of the villain of our family like yeah
0: yeah yeah yeah. I, I really felt like that was when I made up that question. I was like, I feel like uncle Scott is somebody like it's yeah. too personal. It felt too real. So, um, okay. I'm done with the fine questions. Now I really want to talk about the book. Okay. 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 I, we're starting with, for me, the most important, uh, as a horse person, I have spent a lot of time at farms, taking care of animals, yeah. um, the barn my horse lives at has goats, chickens, ducks, horses, a nice. couple cows. Yeah. We're very well cultured. So when I picked up a book <laughs> set on an ostrich farm, I was like, this is so intriguing. I've never, <laughs> I've never thought about that before. I've never they sold ostrich eggs. I still can't wrap my head around who uses ostrich eggs, but I mean, I know ostriches are used to make like boots and stuff, which makes me sad. Um, They do use the
1: leather. Yeah.
0: I mean, and I, I ride in leather saddles and I wear leather boots. So I guess I'm part of the problem, but they're not ostriches. But anyway, so I just (laughs) want to know, like, what's your, what's your relationship with ostriches? Have you actually ever spent time on an ostrich farm? Like, (sighs)
1: It's a a good question and it's a bit of a convoluted answer. So again, I told you I'd fall in love with the desert and I was trying to write this novel and the novel started off largely uh, based on my mom's story. She grew up on a dairy farm um, in North of Northern California up near Sacramento. So I wanted to write a dairy farm but I wanted to set it in the desert and I called my mom and I was like, is there any chance there would be like a dairy farm in the desert? And she was like, no, no, that doesn't make any sense. Uh, and I was being really stubborn. So I was actually Googling um, ranches in the Mojave and and up popped the OK Ostrich Corral, the OK Corral, the Ostrich Corral. I forget what he called it. Um, run by this guy named Doug Osborne. And I was like, wait, that's too, like I have to at least go out there, right? And so I actually, I pitched it as a travel story. And I said, because that's what you do when you're writing is like anytime you're going somewhere, you pitch it as a story idea. And then, so um, I was writing it as a travel piece. I went out to do a tour. And the guy, you know, it was just him alone on the ranch. He had a guy who would come help him sometimes. But when I pull up this long driveway and I'm driving past these weird birds and uh, I get out of the car and I'm like, this place is awesome. And the the birds are so like they're just contra they're walking contradictions they're like really pretty and graceful but then they have these really gnarly big two-toed claws that can gut you like literally with one kick they can cut you from like the sternum to your hip bone and just spill your guts they're terrifying i never did actually like wrangle one i always had this idea that i would work up to like working with them a little bit just for the experience. And I was always too scared to do it. I watched Doug do it quite a bit. So I feel like I wrote it convincingly enough. And Doug, because I think he was maybe a little lonely. He just like, I thought I would go and do a little tour and just kind of get a few details. But we ended up talking all afternoon. And then as I started to set my story on this ranch, I kept going back for things that would happen. Like, So the story opens with a a summer storm that happens around the grandmother's funeral. Uh, And that was based on one of the times I went out to see him. It was July. And he had just had this crazy out of nowhere storm. And it was super muddy and slick. And everything was just kind of um, shiny, and i was like this is i mean again with the contradictions you're in the desert and you're slipping in mud like how weird is that um so just as i started to evolve the story and he told me all these anecdotes and slowly the story that had been about my mom's life like i kept replacing the plot points with stories that he would tell me about the ostrich farm and then pretty soon it was all about the ostrich ranch, but the core of the characters is still very much in set in my family. Like Tallulah is kind of my mom in some ways. And, Aunt Christine is, is kind of my aunt Becky in some ways. I mean, my aunt Becky only had two kids and she was never super religious, but the, the mentality of that character of kind of a caretaker of the lover of the family, that was her. Yeah.
0: I, I definitely got the, um, the characters and their relationships and their growth, like I love that, and I loved having the balance of the ostrich farm in it because, again, as an animal person, I I'm super intrigued. This is never an animal that I've considered. I yeah. mean, you know, ostrich is Swiss Family Robinson, and <laughs> I'm riding around, and um, so I've just never thought much about them. And so when you you add in like this farm, this whole element. And I just was like, I don't know how much of this is true. Like, are you making this yeah. stuff up? Or is this really how ostrich farms work? I don't know. Um, but then I will when- say I
1: was mostly true to ostrich farming. And I did take a couple little liberties in terms of um, how the birds react to certain things. Yeah. But... I mean, most of it is pretty spot on. And that was the other reason I was really reluctant to write a dairy farm is that there actually are a lot of dairy farmers yes. out in the world who would know when I got things wrong, which would I, which I was bound to do because I'm not a dairy farmer, but an ostrich farm, there are actually very few ostrich farmers, We don't <laughs> like know. a handful.
0: Like yeah. no idea if you're like, if you're getting it right or not. That's when I read people put horses in books yeah. all the time. And, and it- you know, crazy. Yeah. Cause they always get something wrong. Almost always. Yeah. They ever put horses in a book and I will, I'll read it for you. (laughs) I will. I
1: think I heard you say that in one of your other podcasts and I was like, okay, noted. Like if I have horses, I will call you.
0: I have put many a book down because I just can't handle it. I mean, we all make mistakes. We all, you know, have small inaccuracies and there's also things like, you know, this, this, Okay, like in horse racing, there's a thing that's come up recently on Facebook. In horse racing, they refer to the fetlock as the ankle a lot. And in mm. other parts, they won't call it because technically horse joints don't actually match up with our joints. So what looks like an ankle to us is actually like uh the toe joint. It's kind of oh interesting. It's yeah. So any anyway, so you stuff like that, just whatever. People are different, but then there's things that I'm just like, okay, this is not, this is like right doesn't matter who you are and what you would do with horses. Like this is wrong. And if you do too much of it, it drives me crazy. So yeah, I've, I've definitely
1: put books down for when they get something that's like so egregiously wrong. I'm like, you just didn't even research. Like yeah. I don't, I don't trust you anymore. I can't read your book.
0: You lost my trust. I totally get that. Okay. So tell me, you said this story is, is loosely based it's loosely based on your family, except you're like, yeah. who is my mom? And Aunt Becky is, wait, am I getting this right? And,
1: so my actual aunt is named Becky, but the character is Christine. Yes.
0: Yeah. So how did your family feel about you writing a book that is loosely based on them?
1: Well... I really, so my uncle Steve is estranged. So I don't know. I mean, as far as I know, he doesn't know. I published a book. I, you know, it's not under my maiden name. So I don't even know if he knows that there's a book out there. My grandmother's passed away. My aunt, she was a little quiet, but she didn't seem to mind. And my mom didn't seem to care at all. I mean, she read every draft and some of them were a lot meaner than this draft. And, um, she never, she never had any, um, negative feedback. She never asked me to tone it down. She was always a really good sport about it. But then again, I guess she was kind of the hero of the story. So I guess that helps. I don't know. It
0: makes her look cool. I love, um, God, there's so much obviously that I love about it, but how it just kind of came down to, I think we, I might be giving stuff away.
1: Yeah.
0: And then if I'm giving it away, you can tell me to take this out of the podcast okay and how you know the big theme of the story was her wanting to move away and make her own choices and
1: yeah
0: um because I like I felt that as a kid I don't know if we all feel that when we're that age like we just want to make our own choices and it's not that I don't love my family but I want to do my own thing and um and so when she realized that you know she didn't have to move away to make her own choices she can make she can still be herself and do her own thing where she was. And I just thought yeah. that was a really cool story cuz so often we don't get that. Like we don't realize it's it's our choice to stay too and yeah. change things and stuff. So
1: Yeah, it's really more about living the life you want to live the location doesn't matter as much. Yeah. But feeling like you have the agency over your own life that you get to make the choices that matter to you. And without giving away plot points like she certainly does. There are points in the book where she has to make tough calls on things. And even if she's not entirely sure, but as she does that, she starts to get a sense of being more sure about herself and who she wants to be and realizes that it doesn't necessarily have to be somewhere else.
0: Yeah. Yeah. He's getting hammered for a while. I was like, Oh no, not. Yeah. Oh, the car. Oh my God. The poor girl. Oh, the brain's gone. Like, it was like yeah.
1: Yeah. Hard on her.
0: Decisions right after her grandma died. And it was just, and I'm not setting, I'm not giving too much away. Cause grandma dies. Like She I'm
1: dies on the, the first page. It's Yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> um, so, and I thought it was really interesting how you brought in too the aspect of like, was it you know, did grandma take her own life or was it an accident? And it goes unresolved because that's how a lot of life is. is
1: yeah. Unresolved. Yeah. And it's been interesting to hear from people where they land on that. So I I'm not going to comment. I'll let people make their own decision or you can like, you can call me with your theory and we can discuss it, but I'll just leave that for listeners to, to explore.
0: Okay. I just let I just let things lie how the how you wrote it and to me you wrote it unresolved so I'm just like okay.
1: oh it it is it is but it's been interesting to see how people resolve it in their head and they decide like every yeah. most of the people most of the book clubs I've like talked to are like they they know what happened and I'm like really because I really kind of left it unresolved <laughs> yes.
0: yeah you have no idea. <laughs> I mean there are just things you will never know in life and yeah.
1: And And I try not to do that very much in story because I find that frustrating. Like I don't like leave a lot of loose ends in the story, but I do feel like particularly if someone's passed away, there are some things that you will never have answered. That's just, that's just true.
0: If you've watched enough Dateline, you know, you (laughs) never know what really happened.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: So what, for your writing process, you said this is your first novel, right? Yes. Did you write a lot before this, just like at all, like for magazines or for yourself?
1: Well, I, I, I mean, Let's see. So I got my writing degree in 2010 and I started working with a marketing company doing PR, a lot of website content, social media content, like that kind of stuff for years. And then I switched to working as a technical writer at an engineering company. And the whole time I'm doing all this, I'm getting up at five in the morning to work on the novel and I've got two little kids. So like. I was exhausted. Those were exhausting years, but I just, I didn't want to give up on the novel. Uh, you know, you got to pay your bills. You got to raise your kids. But I just, I didn't want to give up that little piece of this dream that I had. So I would get up super early, write, work on the book until the first kid woke up and then like start the day. Um, but it was a long, so I, I was doing a lot of writing for other people, Uh, I have written a couple of short stories along the way just because sometimes you want to finish something and that feels nice to to get something across the finish line but mostly I was working on the novel and I worked on over and over and over uh, so many drafts of like I would get to the end and think for sure it was done and then I'd read it through and be like oh actually I need to fix all this stuff and so I learned a lot in the process of writing it and actually um, I'm almost done with my second book already because I have learned so much in writing the first one that the second one just went so much faster. It also was a story that I've been kind of toying with for a long time. It was percolating in the back of my head while I was writing the Ostrich book. Yeah. So when I did finally sit down to write it, I had already I had a really long outline and it had pretty much like formed in my brain. So when I wrote it, it just kind of came out pretty easily. Yeah. And now I'm just editing and I'm actually getting pretty close to done on the editing. So hopefully before the end of the year, book number two will be on its way to the publisher.
0: That's really exciting. Can you give us yeah. a peek, like what it's about at
1: all? Yeah, um, I'm so in love with the story idea. It's Basically, it's a young couple who find themselves in the unusual position of being immortal until they decide to have a baby. So it starts in the 1700s and they fall under this spell. And they uh, basically try, follows their adventures like through time and all over the world. And she, <laughs> they were supposed to use the magic to like avoid um, a pandemic, which actually ended up really being weird to write that because when I started writing it, of course we weren't in the situations that we've been in. There was no COVID. Um, But so the idea was that they were supposed to like go find somewhere safe and then they would start a family. And, but he's like, hey, but isn't this great? We should keep going. And so they keep not settling down And she's in it for a while, but then like after 250 years, her biological clock has been ticking and she's like, I'm tired of moving all the time. I want to have a family. And so it kind of becomes this big, it was a big, I don't know, uh, analogy for why anyone has children, like took the, the immortality of youth that we all talk about. And I made it literal. Like, why would you give that up? Why do we have kids? Why do we stay with one person for so long? I don't know.
0: I can't wait to read it. Oh, I'm really excited about it that is a really cool story idea and I can imagine the tension between the main characters when she's ready to have babies and he's not and
1: yeah and I think it's so relatable for a lot of us of like right you know you have a partner and you've decided you want to live your life but maybe you want different things right now and how do you navigate that yeah it's been really fun to write it
0: okay so do you have like writing exercises that you do to get you in the zone or in the mood. Yeah.
1: You know, I actually do, um, a little bit of mindfulness before I write, I do a really short meditation.
0: Okay.
1: And it's, um, just about quieting my mind and letting go of all the, you know, to do's and have to's and like the things that bombard your brain constantly. And it's funny, actually. <clears throat> I I, um, at the start of the pandemic, I invited some writer friends to join me on Zoom and we would meditate for a few minutes and then we would write and then we'd hang out and it was great. And then I realized a writer friend of mine up in Seattle was doing the same thing. And so we actually joined forces and we started a whole like online mindful writing community. We, we call it a very important meeting because we feel like a lot of times people who want to write are always kind of putting it off and putting it off. Mm-hmm. So we set it up so that, like, when you go to the website, which is a very important meeting if anyone's interested. Um, You can click on the calendar, and then you go to Zoom, and it reserves your spot, and then it it pops up on your calendar as a very important meeting, so that you can say to people like, "Oh, I can't. I have a very important meeting. I have to get to." That's so (laughs) So good. (laughs) This idea of like prioritizing yourself and your writing, and we keep it super secular. It's not religious in any way. It's just like a few minutes of quieting your thoughts, letting everything else go, and then turning immediately to your writing without any gap in between it. And it's just been remarkable. It's a remarkable community and we hear from people all the time, the things that we've always experienced, which is that like, if you can take a few minutes to quiet your mind first, your writing will go places you didn't even expect. Like we have a a Vietnam vet who's working on a, a memoir and he was like, you know, I've just I found I've remembered things that I didn't know were even in this scene. And like, I don't know, people who are writing fiction are like, I just I'm bringing in a new character or I just found some real focus for this story. It's been such a fun experiment. It's been really great.
0: I'm I'm going to go click on it and Um, I'm working on my own project and it is hard to make yourself find the time to write because it is. It, it, you know, small kids and stuff, it is. I feel kind of pulled from one thing to the next constantly. Oh,
1: it's like a constant battle, especially yeah. with the COVID and then um, COVID keeping the kids home, but then also COVID is really disruptive to focus. I mean, I've heard that from lots of writers that even when you find the time, it's so hard to you know, let go of this anxiety that we've kind of been carrying for a long time. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, you should come right with us. Okay. It's I really thought- fun we ask for like a five dollar donation if people can but it's like we keep it totally separate like you send five dollars paypal if you can we keep the registration totally separate from that um because we know writers you know writers we don't always have five dollars and um so everybody's welcome regardless of whether they can contribute or not
0: okay
1: um what else can i tell you about no oh I mentioned the award that my book just got, which I'm very excited about. I put that up on the website. So if folks want to know more about the book, they can go to my website at aprildavila.com, which hopefully you can like, I don't know if they're like show notes or. Yeah,
0: I'll link that for sure. Okay. Um, and I'm, I'm looking at my copy of the book real fast. Um, do you, I'm, I'm really curious, and this is a random question, but there was a lot in the book about ostrich eggs.
1: Oh, yes. And you said, like, I don't really understand the market for that.
0: (laughs) people actually, like, eat ostrich eggs? Like, what is the deal with that?
1: People do. It's much more a novelty thing, which I think is why um, Southern California, you know, there aren't a lot of ostrich farms in general, but Southern California tends to, they pop up from time to time. And I think it's because Las Vegas, they do ostrich eggs almost as, like, a novelty thing. So they'll hard boil them and, like, slice them into they're almost like egg steaks because an an ostrich egg is like a football size. So you can imagine if you boil it and then you slice it, then like each of the slices is like a little mini egg steak with the yellow yolk and the white around the edges. Um, I mean, it's definitely a novelty thing. It's not, you know, I haven't (laughs) because uh, when I went out the first, it was actually, I guess it was the second time I went out to the ostrich ranch and I was like, I'm going to get some meat and like try an egg and, I actually, sorry, I haven't tried the meat. I did try an egg years later, but when I went out to the ranch and he was telling me all these stories about how he had been, the eggs, the birds had actually stopped laying eggs and he couldn't figure it out. And then it turned out that the cement plant down the street had actually been dumping illegally and they had uh, poisoned the groundwater and the birds had been poisoned. They were like really sick. And so he'd had to take the cement plant to court and he'd had to like ship in fresh water. And he's telling me this whole story. And then he's like, you want to buy some jerky? And I was like, I don't know if I want like the arsenic jerky. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I mean, I bought some to be nice, but I like, I threw it away when I got home. I felt really bad, (laughs) but it just, it sounded unsafe. So I didn't eat Ah. it years so- later yeah. i did try the egg and it tastes just like chicken egg it's like you know you wouldn't know it was an ostrich egg if someone just served it up scrambled you'd never know Okay,
0: that's what i was wondering i was like yeah. so a slice of a boiled ostrich egg are you paying like 50 dollars because it's an ostrich egg but it tastes like a chicken egg which is pretty much
1: yeah yeah
0: great? <laughs> uh, it tastes yeah. like whatever sauce you put on it a lot of salt and pepper. exactly
1: a little salsa salt and pepper
0: yeah and it's, and it's palatable, but not worth $50 a slice or whatever. Exactly.
1: Yeah. (laughs) It's definitely a novelty thing.
0: Um, okay. And then the, the, uh, in one of the scenes there, well, I just love that Tallulah just like grabs the shotgun. (laughs) Like, uh, like someone took my bird and I'm going to go find. (laughs) and it was so she doesn't mess around. No, she doesn't mess around, and I was just like, "Yeah, this girl's awesome. Did your mom ever grab a shotgun and point it at someone since it was based on your mom?
1: I mean, not that I'm aware of, but I wouldn't put it past her. <laughs> yeah, my mom doesn't mess around either. She's a no nonsense lady.
0: It was amazing, and then, um, another thing, and I'm sorry, I keep going back to ostriches. I'm just so no, anxious.
1: it's fun I mean, it's the so fun part of the story
0: he. Uh, Okay. When you mentioned that your mom grew up on a dairy farm, it kind of made sense. So I thought, you know, all the ostriches and she only knows like a couple of them by name. And I just thought, well, if I was on a ranch with 150 horses, I would know every single one by name. But if I was on a dairy farm, I don't know that I would know each of them by name. Yeah. Uh, well it was interesting too much characterization for you to have a name for each ostrich I was like that just that like-
1: was where I landed because like the Doug the guy who owned the farm did know them he knew everybody had by name um but trying to write that into the story it was really overwhelming like I really had to just like pick a couple give them names and they kind of ended up representing The whole flock. Yeah. It's the same way that like I treat the girls in the book as the girls. Like some of them do get names and we do spend like a moment or two with them, but mostly I just refer to them as the girls because I just feel like as a reader, that's an easier thing to keep track of.
0: Yeah, I didn't even think about that. You're right. I
1: think it's
0: very smart because it is. There were like six of them, right?
1: Yeah. By the end. Yeah.
0: And then I also love how she grabs the beaks to tell them like to lead the
1: ostriches. Yeah. Well, that's like, if you ever have to deal with an ostrich, this is worth knowing they they kick forward, like, which is opposite of horses, right? You always have to be careful walking behind a horse, but with ostriches, you have to be careful when you're standing right in front of them. So if you need them to do anything, you actually have to grab their beak and pull their head low. And then they can't kick you without kicking themselves in the head, which they won't do. So if you ever need to like, deal with an ostrich the best way to do it is so you just gently take a hold of their beak and you move their head down to about your belt level so that they can't kick you
0: do they let you do this or do they try to run from you
1: i mean they'll kind of they'll pull their head away but um and like a stranger they'd probably fight you but the doug the owner of the ostrich ranch he he would just they would just you know he would just hold their beak and pull it down gently and partly it was that he was really quick like he just learned to be quick and grabbing but they didn't fight him they were they seemed totally comfortable with him
0: I feel like this was very important information. And I really appreciate this. So yeah, so you could
1: save your life someday. <laughs>
0: yes, for me and all the listeners. Now I know how to handle an ostrich so we don't get gutted by an yes. ostrich two-toe talon thing. Thank you. John,
1: Johnny Cash was almost gutted once. He got kicked by an ostrich and he, he apparently only survived because he had like a giant belt buckle that stopped the kick. So the cut didn't like totally gut him.
0: Oh my God.
1: Isn't that crazy?
0: <laughs> so now we're all going to wear... Belt buckles. Yes. Ostrich. <laughs>
1: if you're going to an ostrich ranch, wear a big fat belt buckle.
0: <laughs> oh my God. And be sure to quickly grab their beak and lower it to belt level. Yes. That's incredible. Okay. I think I think that's all my questions.
1: This is fun. Thank you're you for fine. having me.
0: Yeah, I wish that I could show the um cover, but I'll just y'all have to click on the link and I will I have a little segment on my website, Author against podcast. And I will like put your information on there and links to your books and links to your website and everything. So people can just go in and get, find all the links. But I love the cover when you sent this to me. I'm actually really sad to it to the beach and it got very, oh. very well loved. Uh, oh,
1: my books are all well loved. They don't survive long in my hands. Yeah. Books should be well loved, I feel like.
0: That's, I can't, I go back and forth. Part of me loves that it's well loved because it just- Because it's obviously red and I took it and and we I enjoyed it along with the ocean water and part of me is like oh but it's not pristine anymore trade-offs yeah yeah. but the cover is gorgeous and I had no idea what I was getting into when I got a book called 142 ostriches and I'm glad that I made the dive
1: well I'm so glad you enjoyed it thank you
0: um okay so let's tell the listeners about the giveaway real fast and then we'll wrap it up so what are you giving away
1: So we're going to give away one paperback copy and through Instagram, right?
0: Yes, through Instagram. So we will, um, I'll again, and I'll put it on my website and I'll put it in the show notes, um, how to get to us on Instagram. If you don't already know, I feel like most people know about the show because of Instagram, but, um, again, author for my Instagram, it's author underscore shenanigans underscore podcast. And so I'll have a post and we'll, we'll leave it up for like two weeks and you basically just follow both of us and you get entered. And, give and then I'll,
1: I'll send you a book.
0: Yeah. Somebody's going to win a free book. I love it. And we I I post their uh, books when they get them in the mail all the time. And it's just, it's so fun. It's fun. Yeah. Too. So thank you, April.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Happy to be here.
0: Um, all right, well, we're going to wrap this up. In- this has been great.
1: Thanks again. All right.
0: Thank you. Have a great day.
1: All right. Bye-bye.
0: all right that's a wrap thank you so much april for your time i loved learning about ostriches and hearing more about your story and your writing process and your mindful writing group i am super pumped to join it be sure to go to my website authorshenaniganspodcast.com and there are links for all the things april's website her book the mindful writing group all of that um such an honor to have her on the show after she won that huge award for her book. It's such a big deal. So anyway, thank you. And y'all, as always, if you loved it, share it with a friend, rate it, review it, subscribe to the podcast, and don't forget to enter the giveaway on Instagram. If it's not up right this second, it will be up very soon. All right. Thank y'all. Have a great day and happy reading.